Heavenly Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that you, out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of your people, Lord, to grasp the height and the width and the length and the depth of the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To you, our God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We're continuing in our time this morning in, our, in the book of Ephesians. And so I invite you, if, if you haven't already, to turn to chapter 5 of Ephesians. It's towards the end of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, uh, we have some available out at the welcome table. Please feel free to take one. Take one home with you as well. That's, that's our gift to you. This morning we have a simple message, I hope, Though it is one that is both stirring to the affections and practical for daily living. Here's the summary of our time this morning as we hear from this passage. As God's children walk in love, in light, and the Spirit. So, our three parts this morning. As God's children walk in love, walk in light, and walk in the Spirit. And again, with the Apostle Paul's writings, listen to the contrasts that he presents in this passage. Love versus impurity. Light versus darkness. And filling of the Spirit versus drunkenness. There's a reason that he does this while teaching and exhorting his hearers. So to set the stage for the rest of our passage this morning, Paul begins our section by making another incredible, remarkable, stunning statement. Though granted, we are prone to overlook and to miss the true weight and beauty and transformational power of such statements when we become too comfortable by way of familiarity. But let us now look to verse 1. Point one here, as God's children walk in love. Paul says, verse one, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. This section here is a continuation from our passage from last week. As we see, it begins with therefore. And I just want to take this as an opportunity to remind us that when we read and study the scriptures, we take the verse in context of what comes before and what comes after, no matter the chapter breaks. So reading it in context of the section that it is in, in the book that it is in, and in the entirety of the canon that it is in. 
If you remember from last week, we saw that the commands of God are rooted in the grace of God. Jesus Christ, his life, his death and burial and resurrection, appearance, ascension in heaven, current intercession, and future return. All is the grounds and the paradigm and the power for our present day living. So what it looks like when we repent and believe the gospel, who God is and what he's done for us, as we heard at the end of chapter 4, when we believe in Jesus, we speak truthfully. We do not sin in anger. We do not steal, but work honestly. We speak to build up and give grace and so on. And what we see as a summary statement, of what comes before, here at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul reminds us again of the paradigm for our living. Who we are to model our lives after. Just as we are made in God's image, we are also called to imitate Him. To look at him in order to reflect him and his glory and to be made more like him. So Paul gives us a really, really bold exhortation here that we are to imitate God. But with the very next phrase, he invokes an equally bold comment. As beloved children. This is the basis for the command. Those made new in Christ, as we heard last week, are God's beloved children. We could spend the rest of our time this morning on just this one phrase. Beloved children of God. In the Psalms, as as David meditates on the glory of God as creator, he remarks, Who is man that you are mindful of him? Or humanity that you care us. And this is to say nothing of humanity's rebellion and sin against God and our helpless state needing redemption. But despite this, God calls those who are his, his children. Our Christian lives are coming to grasp this glorious reality that the creator of heaven and earth in all his glory, with his mighty righteous right hand, has redeemed a people out of slavery for his own possession, whom he calls his children. As sinful human beings, how can we wrap our minds around this? Just consider for a moment that God, he doesn't even just consider us servants of his and and what an honor that would be alone as john in his gospel records jesus says this greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends you are my friends if you do what i command i no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. 
Jesus says that all who come to him and put their trust in him, he counts as his friends. For he loves us, yes, as we will hear again in the next verse, but we see more of this love expounded that Jesus, he also freely shares his heart with us. He discloses what is most important to him, sharing everything that the Father has shared with him. In a conversation that they had, Sam Alberry and uh, TJ Timms are two that have helped me recently to see and appreciate the incredible importance of friendship. And it spurred me on to want to grow in that as well. For friendship is a natural out flow of the gospel bearing fruit in our hearts and in our lives in a word or two what we receive from jesus in being his friend he enables and empowers us to go and be the same to others we can have genuine friendships that freely self-disclose the deepest part of our hearts since we have the freedom to be fully known because we are fully known and yet fully loved by jesus and we're not only friends with god but we are sons and daughters of god in christ and just one small way to help grasp this Friendship comes with certain restrictions. Consider your friendships for a moment. There are healthy boundaries in friendships. And one instance of this is is time. The time that you are available for that person, given your other obligations, etc. However, God calls his own, his children. And with that comes full and ever-present access to him no matter what you may have heard this quote before i i keep coming back to it personally but i think it beautifully captures this idea tim keller says the only person who dares wake a king at 3 a.m for a glass of water is a child we have that access that's a picture of his love for us and as children of god we have access to the king of the universe who listens and loves us looking at verse two here paul continues and walk in love as christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god as as you probably have noticed walk here again we hear it's a repeated theme in this section of ephesians and we will see it again it simply stands for how we live our whole lives in our pilgrimage in this life we can hear this calling in verse 2 as a continuation of the beginning of chapter 4 again we heard that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility gentleness patience bearing with one another in love 
Here Paul summarizes, we are to walk in love. Now to walk in love, we, we must look then to Christ. How can we know and trust God's love? By looking at what God has done for us in Christ in history. Just as Christ loved us, so too are we to love one another. Again, Christ is put as the grounds and the paradigm for our daily living. And Christ loved us so that he gave up his own very self for us. Just briefly, this phrase in verse 2. Christ gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This phrase draws on the Old Testament law and sacrifices and captures its fulfillment. That Jesus' sacrifice of himself, contrary to any other, was pleasing, satisfying to the Father. Hebrews 10, chapter 10, helps us here. It says, Then Christ came into the world. He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me? In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. As it is written of me in the scroll of the book, quoting here Psalm 40. Continuing on, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once and for all, God was pleased with Jesus' offering of his very own body. Living out God's will in perfect obedience, out of love, willingly, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And through this sacrifice, the Father smiles down on those who believe. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So as God's children, then we, we are to first imitate God by walking in love as we look to Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. In this next verse, verse 3, we have our first contrast. Love versus impurity. Walk in love. Don't walk in impurity. Paul does this. Paul, Paul keeps putting back to back, weaving together, swinging between those positive commands and negative commands. He is very mindful of our sin and the fallen reality of this present age and also of the glory of Christ, his redemptive work, the new creation and our new selves in Christ. It's as if Paul here, as an illustration, is a director using two different cameras to shoot this film. He gives us two very different angles, but cuts back to back between them. Camera one focuses on God and his glory and redemptive work through Christ. 
Camera two focuses on sinful humanity and the world's darkness. Certainly camera one is going to get the most screen time, but we need both cameras to get the full picture of what is going on and to always remember that, yes, we still sin and live in a present evil age, but we are also, we are also made new and living in the new age with Christ. While showing us this full reality, Paul then reminds us that we continually, continually need both repentance and belief in the gospel. Maybe, maybe the illustration of walking itself is, is helpful here. You know, we, we, we create this gospel stride, putting one foot in front of the other. Repentance, belief repentance belief and and if we forget as paul shows us here our need for one or the other our current reality the future hope that we have the reality now in christ we will have a severe limp as we walk and journey on in this pilgrimage to our final rest in christ repent and believe the gospel both were present at jesus's calling as he declared in his earthly ministry that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is near but our adversary satan he loves to collapse reality make it thin colorless you don't you don't need to repent or believe this is all there is. It's not so bad. So here's our first shot from camera two. Verse three. But, now this one word is strong, making a stark contrast from what we just heard about love to now this. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. This living was common for pre-conversion pagan Gentiles, old humanity, but not, not their new selves. Though things they were tempted, and, and, and we still are tempted maybe to do, Regarding this threefold list, Peter O'Brien says this. Paul moves from the acts of immorality and uncleanness to their inner spring, greed. That insatiable desire to have more, even the coveting of someone else's body for selfish gratification. All these forms of sexual immorality and greed are so serious that they must not even be mentioned among God's people. Continue on in verse 4 here. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Here Paul brings up again the importance of our speech. What comes out of our mouths matters. Paul's deeply concerned for the speech of Christians, for the gospel as we have seen time and again changes every aspect of life. Even the jokes we tell or the jokes that we laugh at 
matter? Are we loving one another with the words that we have chosen to say and also how we say them? Verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. There's a severity to this. The kingdom of God is not for those who willingly and joyfully walk in impurity rather than walking in love. Notice the connection here between verse 3 and verse 5. We hear repeated the same threefold pattern. Morality, impurity, and covetousness. All from the inner spring of greed. Paul then gives another warning. In verse 6 he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. So for those who walk in this way, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And now secondly, Paul says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes. This is a weighty warning. God's judgment is real and just. And here, the question posed to us may be, are there impure practices that that we might be deceived into thinking are acceptable for those who walk in God's love. Regarding God's wrath, N.T. Wright explains, God's wrath properly is an aspect of God's love. D.A. Carson puts it this way, Our problem, in part, is that in human experience, wrath and love normally abide in mutually exclusive compartments. Love drives out wrath, or wrath drives out love. We come closest to bringing these together, perhaps, in a response to a wayward act by one of our children, but normally we do not think that a wrathful person is loving. But this is not the way it is with God. He goes on to say, Both God's love and God's wrath are ratcheted up as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. These themes barrel along through redemptive history unresolved until they come to resounding climax in the cross. If you wish to see God's love, look to the cross. If you wish to see God's wrath, look to the cross. To walk as God's children in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, this means to not walk in impurity, things contrary to God's holiness. Point two, as God's children walk in light. Beginning in verse 8 and going through verse 14, this section calls for us to walk as children of light. We'll move quickly through these verses. Verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The obvious contrast here is darkness and its opposite, light. You were darkness, but now you are light. This was true of you, but now this is true of you. Simply put, what is meant by light is the fruit of goodness, righteousness, truth, as we read in verse 9. Light shines, reveals, exposes all. We are not only to not partake in impure practices or the unfruitful works of darkness, but we are to confront what hides in darkness with godly living. Or as Paul says, expose it. Make it visible by bringing it into the light. One commentator notes here, the context of darkness suggests that the fruitless deeds which are exposed are the sins of unbelievers. The conduct of the children of light will shine as a beacon to others, revealing evil deeds for what they are. With this call to walk in the light and truth as God's children, the vital practice for us as believers as well, the vital practice of confessing our sin comes to mind, as well as 1 John chapter 1, 7 and 8. Let me read that. If we claim, John says, to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The gospel frees us up to be honest about ourselves and our own sin. We do this together weekly uh, through, through song or prayer um, or, or readings, confessing together our sins before God. And hopefully we have a good friend or two that we can confess our sins with throughout the week as well. But when we bring sin into the light, speaking truthfully about it, exposing it with godly living, it loses its hold on us. And we are reminded anew of the richness of our good Savior's mercy. The section ends with a fragment of a hymn that's believed to be drawn primarily from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Point three. As God's children walk in the Spirit. So we've been called to walk in love, to walk in light, and now you're called to walk in the Spirit as God's children. And beautifully, Romans 8 assures us that if we do walk in the Spirit, we are indeed God's children. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul goes on here to say, listen to this. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Glorious truth. Paul begins now our third section, walking in the Spirit here with with wisdom as we see, beginning in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not walk, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul has shown us multiple times already in the manner in which we are to walk in this present age. We, we end now with the call to walk in the Spirit and to walk wisely. And maybe as a good example here of what it would look like for us to be unwise and, and to not make the best use of our time, to be foolish, we hear Paul's last negative command. To not, not get drunk on wine. So, our last contrast, negative command here. Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. And then what does he say? The positive command here is, be filled with the Spirit of God. Might seem like a little strange uh, dichotomy here, comparison. Though there is one similarity, maybe, between the two of, of, of of getting drunk on wine versus being filled with the Spirit. We talk about drunkenness or being under the influence of alcohol, right? And, and maybe in a similar way, we are called when we're filled with the Spirit to be under the influence of God's Spirit. Um, maybe too, God in the Scripture speaks of wine gladdening man's heart. But then it can't even be compared with the joy that is to be filled with the Spirit of God. You know, similarities then, then stop there um, between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit. This, this, this command, this call to be filled with the Spirit is, is an important doctrine to understand an important text here so so maybe let's ask the question then what what is it not saying here what is it not speaking to when we're talking about being filled with the spirit well if we remember back to chapter one of ephesians paul says that we are sealed by the holy spirit the day of redemption and here there's a difference In the New Testament, another scripture that comes to mind in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says we're baptized in the Spirit. So these verses speak to the truth, the glorious truth that in the New Age, every Christian is baptized in the Spirit, united in the Spirit to Christ when they're converted, when they believe in Christ God sends his spirit to indwell. There's the key word, indwell in every Christian. The spirit indwells in us. But this is different here. This command to be filled with the spirit. 
Once we're Christians, we are indwelt with the Spirit. But here's a continuous command, exhortation that Paul gives us to be filled with the Spirit. Going through the rest then of this section, he gives us, Paul gives us a result or results of what it looks like then to be filled with the Spirit. Let's, let's look at these now. Continuing on, we're called to be filled with the Spirit. First result of this is addressing or speaking to one another through singing. So we could say then a Spirit filled church is a singing church now notice they're in this speaking to one another addressing one another with psalms hymns and spiritual songs Uh, let's not spend too much time or worry about differentiating between what psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are for commentators note there's a challenge there uh, simply to say we should we should sing the gospel message of christ But notice that there is what we might call a horizontal component to our worship, to our singing. To our corporate singing. Each week we gather, we sing together. But we're also singing for one another. I just can't count the times that I've been blessed to to hear, to see brothers and sisters singing these glorious truths and so nourish my faith as well, being blessed by that. So it's important. It is important that we all participate in our singing. You know, it's, it's maybe in a lot of ways very countercultural. We don't have people gathering to sing very often in our culture, in our societies. But it's a glorious act and important that, that all of us, not just those up front, all of us, are participating in this act of worship, in this encouragement ministry to one another. John Wesley says this. I, I love his little directions for singing that he puts as an appendage in a 1761 hymnal. He says this, point three, he encourages us, sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you, If it is a cross to you, take it up and you will find a blessing. Encouragement of the horizontal component. That is a blessing that when we gather, we speak to one another, we address one another in our singing of gospel truth. Certainly it's not just singing in our corporate gatherings. There's a reason we gather together in worship. And so in our gathering, all that we do, the ways that we participate whether that's through praying, through readings, through hearing, listening to God's word together, or partaking at the Lord's table. We do it together, nourishing one another in the faith of the Spirit-filled church. Secondly, a Spirit-filled church sings, yes, addressing one another with psalms and spiritual songs, but also we sing to the Lord making melody in our hearts. So we might call this then the vertical aspect of our worship, that we are singing to God. Often attributed to St. Augustine, famous saying, singing is praying twice. That we are 
singing to the Lord. We're looking to Him. In, in another one of Wesley's points, he says, sing spiritually. Sing with an eye towards God, that you might please Him in your singing as well. But also we note here that our worship, worship through song, begins inward with the heart. Our heart is moved by the grace of God and vocalized through our voices to Him. You know, I think of, uh, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But we don't just say it as Spirit-filled Christians. We sing it, adorning these precious words with beautiful melodies. Third result of being filled by the Spirit. We give thanks to our Heavenly Father. May Gospel Life Church be a thankful church. Always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Lord Jesus. And lastly here, Spirit-filled church is a church that submits to one another out of reverence for Christ. Godly submission is a sign of a Spirit-filled church. Paul will go on to expound on this point in our next sections here in Ephesians, what it looks like to submit properly in our relationships. But last thing, let's note this then on the command to be filled with the Spirit. We've seen results of it, but for a moment, focusing in, what, what is the means? What are the means by we're filled with the Spirit? Certainly, we, we are to ask God and pray to be filled, that He would send His Spirit upon us afresh to behold His Son. But Paul also gives us another key to more fully unlock this command in another one of his letters, Colossians chapter 3, 16. Let me read this for us and note the similarities. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So again, in Paul's exhortation for us to sing, now we see, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So our singing, the word, the message, the gospel of Christ, we are singing about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. Similar then with this passage, what is a spirit-filled church? A spirit-filled church is a church where the message of Christ dwells richly where we hear the gospel, we, we sing the gospel, we pray together. They go hand in hand, these two exhortations that Paul gives us. As we conclude here, notice one final and glorious thing that we find in our passage this morning. Paul shows us theology proper, the very nature of God's being in this passage, just in these last few verses, we see how we are to know and to relate to God as triune. One God, 
three persons. This is foundational for the rest of our theology, what we know, our living, how we are walking. Everything else flows from who our God is. He's Trinity. Hear these words again. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul beautifully shows us the Christian life of prayer and worship in relation to our triune God. Knowing God the Father and being thankful to Him and the authority we stand in Christ, His Son, united to Him, all in the power of of God, the Holy Spirit. God is love. We hear this morning, God is light, God is spirit, God is triune. And as his children, we are called to know him and to walk with our God in light and love and in the spirit. We are to know him through his redemptive acts through Christ so that we can be filled with the Spirit and share in his perfect love and peace and joy, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So the invitation again here this morning to believe this good news. Believe that Christ died for our sins as a perfect offering to the Father. And he rose again from the grave victorious over sin and death by the same Spirit that is now available to all of us who believe. So to summarize, walking as children with God, our triune God, in a wonderful little book I would recommend to everyone, Delighting in the Trinity, um, let us finish this way. Michael Reeves says this. It's a longer quote, but so good. So here... Hear this and believe and listen too for for what we've heard from Ephesians chapter 5 this morning with love and light and spirit. The way the Father makes known his love is precisely through giving his spirit. In Romans 5 5, for instance, Paul writes of how God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is then through giving him the spirit that the father declares his love for the son. It is all deeply personal. The spirit stirs up the delights of the father in the son. And the delights of the son in the father. Inflaming their love and so binding them together in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He makes the father's love known to the son. Causing him to cry, Abba, something he will also do for us. And let's be clear that Abba is said with joy, for the Spirit so makes the Father known to the Son that the Son rejoices. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for making the loving Father of lights known. The Spirit is the bringer not only of love but of joy and is regularly associated with joy next to which the merriness of wine is no substitute. Doesn't that make you want to sing? 
We're going to respond in a moment through song, through singing. But before we do that, we turn our attention to the Lord's table. Another glorious expression of the love and the joy and the peace that it is to commune with God. This is a, a joyful table, a, a singing table, and it's a table for all who put their hope and trust in Jesus. And so now I invite you to please come and take the elements.